Well, good morning. As Mandy said, my name is Shannon. I'm one of the pastors, and I want to welcome you here today. It is a privilege to be with you on this Sunday morning. And for those of you joining us online, we are so glad that you are joining us there, and we look forward to having you with us in person at some point. I always do like to say welcome back to all of our second-time visitors. Um, we are so glad that you came and that you came back, and so we are glad that you are here. And today would be a perfect opportunity to come to that newcomer's dessert. Well, last week we opened a new sermon series about questions we want to ask God. We are creatively calling it Questions for God. Um, we spent a lot of time working on that title there. But it stems from this idea that there is so much about faith in this Christian life that isn't always so clear. I have questions, right? As I get older, some things become clearer, but I've also got more questions, things with less obvious answers, the more nuanced elements of life. The questions that I had when I was 10 or 16 or even 25 are much different than I have today. And Gino reflected the importance of understanding that questions aimed at God is not, as some of us have been led to believe, irreverent. God can handle my questions, and in fact, he welcomes them. James 1.5 talks about how our God is a generous God who will give us wisdom and not rebuke us for asking. And we are encouraged to pursue the answers we need for our questions, that our God is big enough and wise enough to handle both our big and small questions. In fact, I would say that it is the importance of staying inquisitive about life and faith and the world that keeps me growing. It's how kids shape their worldview. They ask questions and they get answers. That's why it's really important to make space for your kids to ask questions so you know who's answering their questions. And if you've ever hung out with a preschooler, you'll get asked all sorts of questions, right? This is how they grow and develop, right? Why is the sky blue? Why do I have to eat vegetables? Why do I have to go to bed? And as we get older, our questions usually become more complex. It's how we find out more about the world. It's how we develop our ethics and our morals. Um, for our teens who are in here with us today, like, why do I have to drive the speed limit? Why do I need to spend less than I make? Why do I have to care about algebra, or respecting adults, or putting my socks in the laundry? And some of you are still working out the answers to those questions today. And as our lives get bigger, our questions can too. And when Gino started the series last week, he opened with the question, are you the one? The question that John the Baptist asked of Jesus. And if you didn't get a chance to be with us last week, we encourage you to check that out on our website. And as I considered my questions for God, I have lots of questions. I have questions about specific moments in my life. I have questions about history. I have questions about God's creativity and his justice and his mercy. I have questions about why Leviticus is so detailed. But as I stand before you today, I thought I would talk about a question that is definitely part of my personal journey, but a question that you may have asked as well. If I had an audience with God, I would want to ask, what about women in ministry? Now, spoiler alert, the fact that I'm preaching and teaching to you right now sort of gives away the punchline for this and about how we at the SSV feel about women in ministry, but it is still an important question for all of us, men and women, to wrestle with and get clear on. 
Because right now in the US, in 2024, in even this community, there are churches where what I am doing right now is against their bylaws and against their theology where women are not permitted to serve as elders or deacons or in pastoral leadership outside of kids' ministry, where women are not allowed to preach or teach to men. Right now, in this church, we may have people who fall into both of those camps. Or maybe, as I describe this reality, you are completely surprised that this is still a question that the church is asking. You didn't realize that there was a problem with women in leadership in ministry. And so I thought it would be important to examine some of the reasons for the divide and why we at the SSV have come to the conclusions we have come to about women in leadership in ministry. And so you may be asking, like, why does this matter to me? Why does this matter? And why do I have to get clear on this topic? Well, it matters because it's important to be educated and to have thoughtful conclusions about hot topics. Like, that's just a general good statement for life. But it also matters because, as I said earlier, you may be sitting next to someone who falls into a different uh, end conclusion about this topic. And as we say here at the SSV, this is Love University, where we are schooled in the art of people we disagree with. And so it's okay. It's okay for us to have different opinions about matters. It matters because your beliefs about this topic will determine what kind of church you attend but it could also have implications on the way you treat women in leadership, and I mean that for women and men, the way that you treat women in leadership and how you are experienced by women. Women, it matters because your beliefs about this topic could determine some of your life choices. In a more broad sense, it could be the case that your beliefs about women in leadership in ministry could inform some of the ways you think about women in leadership outside of ministry. And so as we dive into this topic, I want to start by saying that this question and really all the questions that we tackle in this series should be experienced from a posture of allowing the Holy Spirit to speak. And sure, like that's the case with all of our messages, right? We want the Holy Spirit to be uh, kind of enmeshed in everything we teach and preach so that we can shore this up against what the Holy Spirit is speaking to our hearts. But for this particular question, I believe that we each have to do business with the Holy Spirit as we listen to what he has to say on this topic. Because there are faithful, God-fearing Jesus followers who read the same scripture that I read, and they believe that God is being restrictive on women in leadership and ministry. And while I feel strongly about what I think the Holy Spirit says about women in ministry, I know that there is the possibility to feel differently. So it will be the Holy Spirit doing the heavy lifting of transforming our hearts and depositing wisdom. And so with the Holy Spirit as our guide, I want to dive into scripture today to hear what God has for us when we ask the question, what about women in ministry? Now perhaps the most controversial piece of scripture on this topic comes from a letter from the Apostle Paul that he wrote to his mentee, Timothy. Now, a quick little note about how Timothy and Paul meet. Um, Paul met Timothy when he was in Lystra, and Paul was impressed with Timothy, who had been raised to love the Lord by his mother and grandmother. Like, they trained him up really well. So well that Timothy caught the eye of Paul. And so this turned into Paul mentoring Timothy. And then uh, as Paul does this, then he kind of has his, his mentees. And for this particular one, Paul finds out that there are some issues that need to be addressed. And so Paul sends Timothy 
to address some of these issues that are happening at the church in Ephesus. And so then Paul sends Timothy. Timothy's there for a little while, and Paul kind of sends this follow-up letter. And then we come to these challenging verses in 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 15. You can join me. We'll put the uh, screens up so that you can see the verses on the screen, but you can also join me in your mobile devices. 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 15. Women should learn quietly and submissively. I do not let women teach men or have authority over them. Let them listen quietly. For God made Adam first, and afterward he made Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived by Satan. The woman was deceived, and sin was the result. But women will be saved through childbearing, assuming they continue to live in faith, love, holiness, and modesty. Oof. If all of scripture is God-breathed, then we have to understand and do business with 1 Timothy. So Paul, in this letter, he first actually, before we get to these verses, he addresses some problems with men in the church. And then Paul goes on to address wealthy women in the church who were using Sundays as a way to show off their wealth. And then we get to this point where he addresses the way women were teaching some bad theology, stating that they should not lead or teach. And that's what we see in verse 12. And this leads us to three possible ways of reading and understanding Paul's words, right? We could read this as one, that women should never lead or teach men in any church. Like we could read those verses and come to that conclusion. Secondly, we could read this as women shouldn't lead, but they can teach after they've had training and education. And third, we can read this as these particular women in this particular church in Ephesus that they shouldn't lead. And scholarly articles, books, teachings, and materials abound about the validity of each of these three options. But what is clear is that Paul is instructing that these women need some training so that they can grow. They're teaching some bad theology, and Paul is trying to put an end to that. And so Paul gives a directive to his mentee, Timothy, to teach and instruct these women with the goal that they will grow. But these verses are challenging. But this isn't the only letter that we have from the Apostle Paul. If we look at Paul's other letters, we see that he does positively reference women leaders. We have Phoebe and Priscilla and Junia. They're found in Romans 16 where it says, I commend to you, this is Paul, talk, Paul writing here, I commend to you our sister Phoebe. Now this is Roman, so this is perhaps the most important, maybe the most important letter that Paul writes in all of scripture. And he's saying, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a deacon in the church of Kentrea. Welcome her in the Lord as one who is worthy of honor among God's people. Help her in whatever she needs, for she has been helpful to many and especially to me. Verse 3, give my greetings to Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in the ministry of Christ Jesus. And then if we go down to verse 7, greet Adronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who are in prison with me. They are highly respected among the apostles and became followers of Christ before I did. Now a quick note about Phoebe. 
Paul gives this letter to the Romans through Phoebe, and Phoebe is probably an independent business woman. Now, N.T. Wright, he's a famous Christian scholar, and he was talking about Phoebe, and he was saying that it almost certainly it was the person who delivered the letter who would be the person who will also explain the letter. Like if somebody had questions about Paul, what, what Paul was trying to say, Phoebe would likely be responsible for helping them understand what Paul had written. And so, as I read this, Paul's words in 1 Timothy are more than likely restraints placed, be, placed on these women because of their inexperience, their lack of knowledge, and deficits that they had in this area, which he also, uh, he also does the same thing with men earlier in 1 Timothy. It's tied to both genders. And if I look at the whole of this letter with the other writings from Paul, I have to take into context how Paul was speaking to and about women. Paul goes on in 1 Timothy chapter 3 to give directives, directives to elders and deacons, the people who will lead the church. They should have healthy relationships in their families because that matters. As we do life in our families, that translates to how we do life in our church community. And we need to have healthy relationships. And in the limited time we have today, I want to acknowledge that the view that I'm specifically talking about today is women in leadership in ministry. It requires a, another sermon altogether to talk about and unpack the ways that this plays out in marriage. And we do have sermons on that. You can look on our sermons on our website and you can find uh, sermons where we've talked about marriage and how that works and headship and all of those things. But I will say that in 1 Timothy 3, it speaks of the importance of healthy relationships in the home, including the ways that, that a man must manage this relationship and his family well. We have to look at the rest of the narrative of the Bible. We have to read the New Testament in its context. And so to use this 1 Timothy passage to describe women as second class or inferior, in my opinion, is a misstep. When I read scripture or when I get a chance to talk to God about women in leadership and ministry, I believe that he would answer that he calls and gifts leaders as he chooses and it is not limited by me being a woman. And more succinctly here at the SSV, we affirm women to preach and lead as God chooses in all areas of leadership. And so you may be asking, how did we come to this conclusion? And how do we practically live this out? Well, as we come to this conclusion, affirming women in leadership, we start with a high value of scripture. We are charged to interpret scripture as empowered evangelicals. Now, empowered evangelicals is a phrase coined by Rich Nathan, who is the retired pastor of the Vineyard Church in Columbus, Ohio. And what Empowered Evangelicals is all about is taking the best of the evangelical and charismatic traditions. It's the best of the biblical emphasis of the evangelical tradition, and it's married to the spiritual vitality of the Pentecostal and charismatic traditions. So as evangelicals, we naturally have a high view of scripture. We never make an appeal or take a position against scripture. So we wrestle with the text. We wrestle with 1 Timothy. And no amount of time passing or social pressure should sway us from where Scripture lands on an issue. And at the same time, we are folks who are empowered by the Spirit. 
We understand that the spirit isn't discriminatory when it comes to gender. We see in Acts 2.18 that in those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servant, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. So we see that the spirit pours out the gift of prophecy on men and women. We have to look and have eyes to see what the spirit is doing. John Wimber, who is the founder of the Vineyard Movement, he, um, in his early days, he read and interpreted the biblical text to restrict women from leadership in, in key areas of the church. Uh, but John tells the story that when he started to see the spiritual gifts of teaching and leadership being poured out on women, he had to take another look at the scripture and then he had to get out of the way. And we have the value of scripture and we watch for what the spirit is doing. Like Paul's admonition to Timothy, we value experience and education and discipleship and training, all of those things, and we keep our eyes open to signs and wonders wherever and from whomever that is coming from. We mentor and train and we let the Spirit do the work. So as empowered evangelicals, we have a high value of Scripture. We also come to this conclusion affirming women in ministry because we pay attention to how Jesus acted toward women and we wanna act like Jesus. The Bible should be interpreted in ways consistent with the practice of Jesus. Now, in light of the, of the culturally accepted view of women in the ancient world and in Jewish culture, women were inferior to men. But the way Jesus treated and regarded women, that pushed, he pushed back against that. And that's worth noting. Here are some of my favorite examples. In Luke 8, we get a list of women followers. It says, Jesus began a tour of the nearby towns and villages, preaching and announcing the good news about the kingdom of God. He took his 12 disciples with him, and we know that they kind of went everywhere he went, along with some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Among them were Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven de demons, Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's business manager, Susanna, and many others who were contributing from their own resources to support Jesus and his disciples. Jesus liberated women. He took them along with him. To the woman caught in adultery in John 8, he humanized her. Her life mattered to him. He was compassionate to her. Her story goes like this. They, which is the teachers of the religious law, were trying to trap Jesus into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down and wrote again in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. And perhaps my favorite, in John 20, God chose to have Jesus appear to the women first. Nikki referenced this in her communion. This most significant moment in history with the resurrected Jesus, and who gets the testimony? The women. The first person Jesus meets is Mary Magdalene. And he doesn't say, hey Mary, can you go get Peter so that I can tell him this story and then he can go tell the rest of the world? No, Jesus tells Mary to go tell the guys, who by the way were hiding. 
that the crucified Jesus has been raised from the dead. She gets to tell that story. Mary gets to do that. Any serious follower of Jesus must wrestle with these interactions between Jesus and women. Pay attention to what Jesus was doing as he interacted with them. As Jesus liberated women and engaged women, I think he was doing the work of breaking down barriers in his time, in his context. And as far as it concerns us, I think we should do the same. We should do our best to take back the original plan where we can. When I look at the book of Genesis, I read Genesis 1 stating that God created human beings, both men and women. It says in Genesis 1:27, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Like that was the original plan, that they would have shared responsibility and shared privilege. And then in Genesis 3, the curse comes. And part of the curse was that women found themselves among the oppressed. Genesis 3.16, then he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy, and in pain you will give birth, and you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. Our sin in the garden led to the oppression of women. And in wrestling with this text, and in wrestling with 1 Timothy, I had this moment where I thought, as much as it concerns Christians and the life we are leading, we should take back as much of the original plan as we can, as much of the original creation, God's intention. If it concerns me, and if I have any measure of control, shouldn't I try and live out the original intention? The genesis where we find that we have shared privilege and responsibility. In my mind, it seems like appropriate, actionable steps for me to return to what I see in Genesis 1. And because there are like tons of things about this fallen world that I can't fix. I can't fix sickness or death or pain. But this area seems different. This oppression of women, it feels like I have some control over that. It feels like we have the ability to rise above the oppression. Our conclusion about affirming women in ministry is one way I believe we can return to the original plan. Now, as we do this, as we think about returning to this original plan, some of you may be reflecting, like, how do I do that? How do I walk that out? If God calls and gifts leaders as he chooses, not limited by gender, what role do you have? What should you be doing? Well, here are three quick tips. I think you should be praying. I think you should pray about it. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal any areas where you intentionally or unintentionally are living under the curse when you could be living under God's original plan. Like, you got to get clear on Scripture. you got to take a look at the life of Jesus. But you gotta, you got to pay attention to where you are living under a curse when you don't need to. Pray about that. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal that. Secondly, you got to get out of the way. Minimally, get out of the way if you see God is blessing a woman leader to preach and teach and you see the kingdom of God is coming. Like, don't mess that up. Be like John Wimber and get out of the way. And a third way you can do this is to walk in your calling. For men and women, I think we all need to walk in our calling. And I say this quite a bit when I'm preaching, and I'm glad that the students are in here because no one else can run your race. No one else can walk out your mission, right? I say that a lot. I say that a lot. You have been uniquely created by God, and some of you have leadership on your lives, men and women alike. 
And if God has called you to leadership, you should do whatever it takes to walk out that mission and that calling. And here at the SSV, as we affirm women in leadership and in ministry, we invite women to learn and grow and be mentored to lead and to teach. Women, you've got to walk in your calling. You've got to do what God has called you to do. And men, you also need to walk in your calling, which means you don't need to walk in my calling for me. I've got it. You walk in your calling, you take care of that lane, I'll take care of my lane. Because listen, in order to get the big task done of taking the whole gospel to the whole world, we're gonna need everybody to be running in their own path and in their own mission and in their own calling. Walk in your calling. Now as I consider walking in my calling and as I consider my own story, it has been vitally important for me to get straight on this question about what about women in ministry and what about women in leadership. Because I, I want to walk in my calling. I want to break down barriers. I want to stay connected to the Holy Spirit. I want to do what he is calling me to do. And I am so grateful to be living in this time, 2024, as opposed to the ancient world, as opposed to the 1960s, you know, as opposed to the 1800s. I'm so glad that I live now. And I'm so glad also that I live in this particular area of the country because the church universal is not always as good to women as I have had it. And this shows up in a lot of different ways. It shows up generally as men by and large dominating the list of pastors, right? Historically, pastors and religious leaders have been men. And so there is just a lack of mentorship opportunities for someone like me. There are fewer examples of women pastors for me to turn to when I have questions. And finding my voice as a pastor and as a leader has been more challenging because I don't see many women doing what I'm trying to do. It's navigating situations where the best pastoral leaders are men who often have appropriate and good boundaries about meeting with a woman and mentoring a woman. Like, Gino, especially when we first started on our church plant, Gino would often go and meet with uh, other pastors and he would take, you know, travel with them on ministry trips and all of these, like, lots of time, right? Lots of time together. Well, that doesn't work out the same for me. I can't travel with somebody and go stay in a hotel room in the same ways that Gino can. I can't spend hours and hours on end in the same ways that Gino has. It doesn't work the same way across genders. And again, I want to emphasize that often there are good and appropriate boundaries between how men and women mentor and, and disciple each other. It shows up as the absence of women on leadership boards in churches, bylaws that specifically describe eldership reserved for men only. And we know from the professional world, at least, that representation matters, right? If an all-male elder board sets the church sermon calendar, you're going to get very different topics than if there are a few women in the mix. If you only hear a man preach, his examples and stories and context is going to be very different if your preaching and diet includes the voices of different people. It's why we work so hard here at the SSV to put different people up here who have been trained and who are working hard to make sure that we get this right, but you've gotta hear different voices. Gino will often say when he's like, you know, kind of like we're rehashing my sermon, he's like, I did not understand that example. And I was like, but all the women in the church understood. 
You've got to hear from different voices. For some women pastors, it shows up as people actually getting up and leaving when we come up to preach. And I feel so sad about that. For some of my women pastor friends, especially in the South, not so much here in this area, it shows up as not being invited to community pastoral meetings or events. And I consider how my upbringing and my relationships have helped me get to this place where I can stand before you today as a woman in leadership and ministry because the road is not the same for many women. And I feel a deep sadness for the women who have been silenced or who have been made small in places where God wasn't making them small, where humans were. I feel sadness for those women, but I also feel sadness for the mission and for the kingdom of God. Because if we let these women loose, my goodness, the kingdom of God will come. And, and let me tell you about these SSV teens that we have here. I've had the privilege of working with some of our SSV teens, and we have some powerhouses in our midst, right? And if we like stifle or if we make small half of them, if we make, make small the women, like we are going to miss out on the kingdom of God breaking into the SSV. But think about where they're going to go. Think about what they are going to do. And not just our teens, right? Like trickle that down all the way to our kids, right? We are training those young men and young women to pray for people, to invite the kingdom of God to come. And let's just say it's a 50-50 split down there, men to women. Like we are going to get half as much work done if we stifle and stop women from doing what God has called them to do. We want to invite God's calling into their lives so that they can do what God is calling them to do. And as adults in this room, we've, we need to teach those children and those teens to value scripture. We wanna teach them to act like Jesus. We wanna teach them to return to the original plan as much as we can. And for the young women, we want to encourage these young women that they may have a calling to preach and lead and teach. And we want them to be sent out healthy, having a healthy view of themselves. We want them to be wise. We want them to be courageous. We want them to be trained and discipled. We want them to be courageous followers of Jesus. And worship team, you can start making your way back up. But here's the good news. Here's the good news about all of this. James 1.5 says, if you lack wisdom, ask God for it and it will be given to you. If you're not sure how to interpret the scripture, let the Holy Spirit guide you on the scripture. Holding it in high value with the eyes open to the Spirit. Empowered evangelicals. Do you need wisdom on how to value women? Act like Jesus wherever you go. In your home, in your job, at in the restaurants, in the grocery stores, and in the church. Do you need coaching? Do you need coaching on how to return to the original plan wherever you can? If you have any ability to break down barriers that were built because of sin, do the hard work of operating differently. Pray, get out of the way, and walk in your calling. And as we, as we worship a little bit more today, I just trust that the Holy Spirit is going to open up your heart to hear what God has for you. Maybe the Lord wants to do business with you on how you interpret scripture. Maybe you came in today feeling very like set and, and that you understood 1 Timothy and you understand the whole of scripture and God's kind of maybe like shaking things up a little bit. We wanna give the Holy Spirit room to work.
maybe for uh, some of the women in the room, maybe God needs to do some healing. Maybe you've come in today and you have a history where you were made small in a space where you, where God didn't ask you to be small. Or maybe you feel like you have leadership on your life, but nobody's cultivated that, or nobody's spoke truth into that, and nobody's called you higher. We want to pray for healing today. And maybe for those of you who are here today, uh, especially to my teens, maybe you have felt like the call of God on your life, but you personally have kind of like made yourself small. You've decided you didn't want to bring attention to that. And I feel like God is just calling out some of your gifts today. We want to encourage you to lead in the spaces where God has called you to lead. God has a big plan for your life. And here at the SSV, we want to, we want to water that. We want your roots to be planted deep. We want to... We want you to feel the presence of God so that you can hear his voice. So that you can do what God is calling you to do. Would you commit to letting the Holy Spirit speak to your heart during worship? Would you stand with us as we sing one final song and after a time of worship I'll come back up. Let me just pray. Holy Spirit, come. Let your presence fall in this space. Thank you for the gift of your spirit. Speak truth right now, Lord. Transform us where we need to be transformed. Call us higher where we need to be called higher. Let us walk in wisdom, courage, and kindness. Come more, Lord.